I'm Jake Fritzke. I'm an administrator here at Holy Trinity Anglican Church here in Raleigh. I would give you my formal job title, but it's a little long. So instead, I'll give you my informal job title, which is Jake of all trades, because I kind of do a little bit of everything around here. I am here with Trip Gordon this morning, uh, who is a minister here on staff with Holy Trinity. In the exact inverse of him, my qualification for being here on this podcast is that I know virtually nothing about <laughs> Anglicanism, and therefore am here to ask questions and hopefully gain clarity, not only for myself, but for those of you who are listening at home. The goal today is just to kind of build a, a general framework for this series. The series, of course, being what is Anglicanism, just to talk about kind of the broadest, broadest picture that we can. And then in the, the subsequent episodes, talk about more specifics. So Tripp, you were recently ordained as recently as of uh, Saturday, and you started with the church last, or no, Sunday, and you started on the church on Thursday. Mm-hmm. What has your life looked like since, you know, Thursday? What does a, a new minister do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, I, I just transitioned outside of college ministry, for those who may not know, mm-hmm. um, served at UNC Chapel Hill and some other universities in the area for for many years, eight years, and then, so in May, I kind of had a, a bridge month between college ministry and church work, so read a bunch of books, read, um, I don't know if people are familiar with the uh, the Wing Feather Saga, uh, I've been working my way through through those, Andrew Peterson, and then uh, we took a trip to the Outer Banks, uh, took a little restful trip down there, um, but then, yeah, started last week, and what does a newly minted minister do? <laughs> I, I'm still figuring that out a little bit. But uh, yeah, just been kind of putting my head down, thinking for things for young adult ministry and operating alongside the pastoral leadership here and starting to think through sermon series and other things coming up. So still figuring some of it out. You know, Jake, your life hasn't been, you know, just admin stuff. What, what have you been up to these these days lately or this past month? Well, um, that's a great question. Uh, so I have a young child who is currently seven months old, seven months old, and uh, he is a handful. And my wife and I just spent most of this last month sick um, because he just entered daycare. Mm. So we brought home something from daycare that got him sick, and then my wife sick, and then me sick, and then I got my wife sick again on top of that. So we've been doing great. Um, it's been awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've uh, we've largely just been experiencing the joys of child rearing uh, uh-huh. this last month. So yeah. yeah, so that's been most of my life. I wish I could say I've done more television watching or book reading, yeah. but uh, I really haven't. I've done a lot of laying down and a lot of moving colorfully shaped objects around a room so yeah. my child can crawl at them. Um, I gave Jake a book months ago, oh, knowing he'd love it, and <laughs> he's still yet to read it. Yes, so he like, gave me a 180-page book six months ago that I have yet to start, yeah. because every time I look at the written word, my eyes just start to cross, and <laughs> I want to go to sleep. Yeah. Um, Nathan so, is seven months. Seven months old. Seven months. Yep, seven awesome. months old. Baby boy. Cool. Well, you want to jump into what is Anglicanism? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm sure people could... We might do another podcast on our lives. People to <laughs> or people can just like come up and ask us and be yeah. like, hey, Jake, I hear you have a baby. And I can yeah. be like, yes, I do. But let's talk about the thing we're supposed to talk about. So what is Anglicanism? But before we do that, actually, I really, I really do want to talk about your history with Anglicanism. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, even though you are an ordained Anglican minister, trained by an Anglican seminary, yeah. you're still kind of like pretty new to this whole thing. So I just kind of want to give the people listening, kind of a background on Trip Gordon. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, it, yeah, I always say it's funny. I, I found myself last year or so teaching a lot on this topic, whether confirmation or uh, new members and stuff. And 
I'm always like, man, I'm kind of like the newest guy to it. <laughs> I might be newer <laughs> than some of the people in the class. You know, I was I grew up in the Methodist church back home, and then I became a Christian through a Baptist church. And I've been on staff with a college ministry that's largely historically Presbyterian, you know, so <laughs> I've gotten... So all over the place. Yeah, I've gotten very familiar with the denominations that are super familiar to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. North Carolina history is all rooted in those three traditions. Uh-huh. But alas, I've been ordained as an Anglican. <laughs> so it's been quite a road, but I always like kind of coming from that perspective because, I, you know, the people coming into those classes, a lot of them are not, you know, what some people call cradle Episcopalians, mm. or they're not, you know, N.T. Wright reading Anglicans. You sure. know? They're very much so, they're like me in some way. They're maybe coming from the Methodist world or Baptist, sometimes non-denom world. So I can kind of speak to some of those questions. You know, in my experience, people, though, they, they get really curious about the Anglican church. You know, I'll say it, that I'm Anglican in some fashion, and I mean, it, I might as well have like three heads or like <laughs> an antenna. Like their antennas just go up on their head like, whoa, what is that? You know, it's just kind of funny. Like my mom, awesome woman out there growing up in Davidson County. Anytime I say Anglican, she's like, what? Like, is that what Anglian or Anglican? Yeah, she just she's like, hasn't heard of this stuff before. So, you know, it's, it, it's a really popular question and mm-hmm. people don't naturally ask it about, you know, the Methodist church or the Presbyterian church, even though like it's, you know, my answer to what is Anglicanism is not too distinct from those things. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, what I always tell people is I, hey, I can go there with you with the doctrine and the theology, and there are some things that we'll definitely get into that'll help explain it, but a large reason why I'm Anglican is just the providential relationships that the Lord put in my life over the years here at Holy Trinity whether it be through the, the fellows program or just meeting the leadership here that led me in this direction. And I think that's honestly like, you know, when you really break down why people are the denominations that there are, that they are, it's, it comes down to a lot of that. Like mm-hmm. who did the Lord put in your life yeah. and who did you come to trust, you know? And that's a real beautiful thing. It can be, hey, you need to ask some questions as to whether or not this tradition, this denomination's, you know, teaching scripture, teaching the gospel. But mm-hmm. that's a big reason why I'm Anglican, Anglican so... Yeah, that's a great story, and it's it's amazing how much the people that are coming to Holy Trinity, the people that I think are coming to Anglicanism right now, are are thinking to themselves, "Man, this is like a brand new thing. Like, there's this new hip denomination in town." When in reality, like Anglicans have been around for a long time. George Washington was an Anglican, yeah, which uh, is wild. It's yeah. like so, like He's the vestrymen. So any any vestrymen out there, <laughs> you know, Truro Church, Northern Virginia, our first president was an Anglican, which is so. like crazy. But so, so you have that kind of that. That confusion where people are like, oh, is this kind of a new thing? And it's like, no, no, it's actually like a really, really old thing. It's been around for like a long yeah, time. All those traditions, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, were, you know, breakoffs <laughs> in some fashion from the Anglican Church. Let's let's say that I bumped into you on a street corner and I grabbed you by the shoulders and said, "Explain Anglicanism to me. I have two minutes. How would you do that?" Yeah. Well, uh, two minutes might be difficult. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll give you five. Um, but yeah, maybe I'd love to start, you know, with a prayer. Okay. A prayer that, if you're familiar with the Holy Trinity or the Anglican Church, you've probably heard before. It's the Collect for Purity. So, yeah, I, I just want to pray it real quick, and then I'll, I'll, I'll provide some commentary. But the prayer just says, um, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open and all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. 
cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Amen. Amen. I always start with this prayer in talking about Anglicanism because it's, like I said, it's pretty familiar. People pray it almost every week. But I think it, it shows, it's an example of something extremely fundamental to the Anglican tradition. And that is that the tradition intentionally seeks to be a gospel-centered and historically rooted tradition. And if I get into talking about Anglicanism, that's, that's always where I want to start. And it's gospel-centered and historically rooted. So this prayer is it's not unique mm. exactly to the English Reformation. I think when people start talking about Anglicanism, sometimes they want to jump straight to like, oh, that was like Henry VIII's thing, right? Like in the whole six wives, yeah. divorced, <laughs> beheaded, died, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then if they know a little bit more, they'll say, oh, Thomas Cranmer, Book of Common Prayer, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, I want to get there. I, I, I like talking about that stuff, but there's some <laughs> other things that kind of happened before that. So this prayer was actually a, a medieval prayer. It comes from something called the, the Sarum Missal. You know, don't kind of don't kind of know all that. Uh, <laughs> Sarum is the Latin name for Salisbury. Mm-hmm. If you ever go to uh, Stonehenge in England, Salisbury is the the nearby parish. But it was a, a historic prayer book of the medieval Catholic Church in England. So, but what Cranmer and the English reformers do a lot in their liturgies and their prayer is they they take things from that prayer book, that ancient historic prayer book, but they make sure it emphasizes the gospel. So mm. um, take this prayer, for instance. In the original prayer, before you know, Cranmer and some others came around, it, at the end, you know, I prayed that we may worthily magnify your name. In the original prayer, it says, and that we may meritoriously magnify your holy name. Mm. And Jake, you might be thinking, well, that is really just a semantic little change. This Cranmer just wanted to add his little touch on it. You know, it doesn't really uh, They do matter. seem similar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to which I, and, and more importantly, guys like Thomas Cranmer, the English reformer, would uh, emphatically disagree. Our understanding of the gospel really hinges on that language. You know, if, if, if we're praying that we may meritoriously do something, so that means that if when I pray, that I gain more merit mm-hmm. before God, then we're, we're praying that our works somehow gain the benefits of the gospel. So the reformers and our theology, our liturgy, are they emphatically cut that notion that you can merit your salvation through doing these things. So it's that it's emphasizing, hey, no matter how much you pray, how much you confess, or how much you go to church, how much you tithe, you cannot meritoriously. <laughs> you cannot merit or earn the gospel. Hmm. So that's just like an example that you'll see time and time again throughout the Anglican tradition is that it seeks to be gospel-centered and historically rooted. It doesn't want to deny that, hey, the church has been in existence for, for 2,000 years. The gates of hell have not prevailed against it. It's not just that some dudes came around in the 16th century and they, they figured it out, you know, <laughs> and the church was in darkness before that. But they clarify this language so that we might not confuse the gospel. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you confuse the gospel at the least is, you know, people are being underfed. At the most, they're being totally led astray and they're mm-hmm. not um, focusing on and loving Jesus. And so one English reformer just after the generation of, of Thomas Cranmer, his name was William Perkins. He, in a, in a book he wrote, uh, he described himself as a, a reformed Catholic. And that's kind of been the language that, Anglicans have used since the 16th century onwards. I think this 
you know, this title very much so captures much of the spirit of Anglicanism. It walks what, what I've come to see, this beautifully principled balance between various expressions of Christianity throughout the last 2,000 years. And it always seeks to be rooted, you know, in God's one holy Catholic and apostolic church, mm-hmm. while also determined never to do so at the expense of Scripture, at the expense of the gospel, and ultimately at the expense of our faithfulness to Jesus. Mm. So, yeah, I... That's uh, if that's a little bit more, <laughs> but <laughs> it, that gospel-centered, historically rooted expression, which isn't—I just want to say too—like it's not totally unique to Anglicanism. Mm-hmm. It's when I when I've seen, you know, healthy expressions of pres- the Presbyterian tradition or the Baptist tradition, etc. Those are what they're going for. But this is how the Anglican tr- tradition makes itself known through the likes of. Um, of uh, the English tradition. Nice. All right. That was definitely less than five minutes. So well done. But what I'm, so just to kind of walk through what you're saying and ask some questions. So to try (laughs) as best I can to get closer to the question, like what is Anglicanism? I'm trying not to get distracted by the colics and the missiles and the reformed Catholic nature of the whole thing, but more so like the Anglicanism is at its heart, a, uh, a gospel believing God worshiping, version of Christianity. That's yeah. the heart. Yeah, cool. 100%. And I, I think it's important to mention that from the get-go. I sure. think sometimes, <clears throat> and I, I think for a while, I thought this was what it was like to explain what is Anglicanism. I'd be curious just to type it on chat GPT, see what it <laughs> said. I, I imagine it might say something. It's a it's a liturgical expression of the English faith. Or sure. Something like that, specifically through the lens of the Book of Common Prayer and that kind of stuff. And we'll get to some of that. But I just want to say, to get started, it's like, hey, if it's not gospel preaching you know, worship of the triune God rooted in the scriptures, then then what are we talking about here? Sure. I mean, that's great. Yeah. That it's in the liturgy. That's great that we have Thomas Cranmer and the whole history of everything. And But if it's like, well, if we have that, but we don't have the gospel, then what do we have? You know? Sure. So that's what I, I like to hear. I've heard a colleague say before, you know, before we are card-carrying Anglicans, we are cross-bearing Christians, mm, and um, like that. that's where I always want to start with this, and, and I've come to see, as I hope we'll you know, unpack a little bit more, that the Anglican tradition, all those other things, the, the prayer book, etc., they do a really good job at leading us to that, sure. uh, that, that picture of the gospel. So. so, great. I like that explanation. One of the things I've heard about Anglicanism is that Anglicanism is kind of like a middle way. It's kind of like a, a Protestanty Catholicism or, or a, a Catholicy Protestantism, uh, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. What would you respond to that? Yeah, for sure. Um, sometimes you hear people say, like, <clears throat> you know, maybe they're familiar with, they're from the Methodist tradition. They're sure. say, like, oh, it's like Methodist, but a little bit different. You know? <laughs> like, John Wesley was an Anglican and then he changed, you know, all, mm-hmm. all kind of things. So I, you know, I want to, you know, pause there a little bit because I think sometimes people in their, you know, that's not a necessarily wrong expression of what Anglicanism is. I think the the middle way explanation or the via media sometimes confuses more than it explains. Mm. And it, it puts in the middle kind of two relatively arbitrary starting points that is Protestantism and Catholicism. So I, I want to pause and just say, I, you know, I think a lot of people they have some maybe confusion as to where their their starting points are mm. in denominations. So, you know, whether you wherever you come from in regards to denominations, you know, 
I think a lot of people see them as, as everything or, or nothing. You know, some mm. it's something that either defines them. You know, you'll hear people say, like, I am Catholic. I am Baptist. Mm. I am something, you know, Episcopalian from birth. And that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's something they don't want to be defined by at all. We literally have a denomination called non-denominational. <laughs> uh, I, I've come to really be shaped by and helped by thinking about denominations as a, as a telescope. Um, mm. Some people say sometimes it's like a candy wrapper. You un- unpack it and then you get to the sweet in the middle. But uh, telescope has really helped me. And it comes from this quote by Austin Ferrer. Austin Ferrer was an Anglican clergyman who actually, you know, C.S. Lewis, ever heard of him? Uh, <laughs> a few times. Yeah, yeah he comes up. Uh, um. Fun fact, people forget, like, C.S. Lewis was a layman, uh, mm-hmm. who really smart layman, but um, his, you know, the, a lot of the theology, the writings he would read were, were people like Austin Ferrer. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get into the theology of C.S. Lewis, read people like Austin Ferrer. And he says this about what Anglicanism and denominations in general kind of what they're trying to do. I, I love this quote. He says, we may begin by making a fuss about the church as a clever boy may make a fuss about a telescope, admiring its mechanisms of tubes and lenses and fiddling with the gadgets. But the purpose of the telescope is to eliminate itself and leave us face to face with the object of our vision. So long as you are aware of the telescope, you do not see the planet. But look, suddenly the focus is perfect. There is the hard ball of silver light. There are the sloping vaporous rings and there the clear points, the satellites. And where is the telescope? It is no more to us than the window pane through which we look into our garden. So, you know, love that quote. I think what Ferrer is saying is like, you know, imagine, you know, you walk into a room and you got a bunch of telescopes. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of like where we're at right now with what de- how denominations work in the world. And you've got one that you really, really like. <laughs> uh, say that's the Anglican or the Presbyterian telescope. Mm-hmm. But imagine, you know, you, you just like had the telescope there, but you didn't use it. You know, that's kind of like what over obsessing about like the the Anglicanness or the denominationness. Mm. We use the telescope to magnify a beautiful object, and for mm. us, that 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 goal, that telos, if you will, of where we're we're pointing the telescope is worship of the triune God, is the gospel revealed to us in Jesus that we are saved not by our works but by faith in Him. You know, I think we can sometimes be when we're over obsessing about these things, uh, that clever boy just admiring the telescope and not using it for its intended purpose. But then I would also say for those who maybe are, you know, they're, they're skeptical of traditions, it's like that might be missing out on some really good resources available to us. Like mm. we're trying to look at the stars of the sky when like we got a telescope right there. Sure. That's been a really <laughs> helpful resource for the church or for, for us to, to get us to the beauties of the gospel mm-hmm. more clearly. So yeah, that's uh, that image of the telescope has been really helpful for me in thinking about the tradition and the denomination. So That's awesome. And yeah, and I can, I can say confidently that in, in my experience of Anglicanism, I think the 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 telescope, so to speak, um, using that collect that you used earlier as an example, I think is a great metaphor because that collect that you read earlier is a great prayer. I mean, a mm-hmm. great and really powerful historic prayer, but it's not really the point. Like at no point when you're reading that collect are you supposed to be thinking to yourself, man, this is a good prayer. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be worshiping the triune God, which I think it does a really good job of. And I think ultimately like that is the goal of all of these 
things that may look a little different in Anglicanism, the, the high liturgy, the, the words like collect and missile, uh, <laughs> which many people might not understand, but their, their goal ultimately is to be that telescope. Which if I could just say too, you know, you know, maybe people are listening and they, you know, they love this stuff. They love <laughs> like the, the doctrine and these you know, theological words and the triune God, all this stuff. You know, there may be others who are just like, man, I just want to worship Jesus. And like, I don't got time to think about all that stuff. <laughs> I'm just trying to either, you know, provide for my family. I'm trying to, to uh, serve my community, all this kind of stuff. And I just want to love Jesus. And to that, I would want to say, man, I, I think Anglicanism does too. <laughs> and that's something that there's, there's like depth to it to where like, hey, if you're on that side of things and you really like this like doctrine and theology, like you can mine for days. But then at, the, at its heart, you know, it's, it wants the same thing that person who just wants to love Jesus wants, you know? Mm. And so, you know, I lo- one of the reasons I love Thomas Cranmer and I've been really shaped by him is, you know, he kind of represents that a lot in his life is that he, he yeah, he could go there theologically with people, uh-huh. but at the end of the day, he just, he wanted people to be shaped by the gospel, shaped by scripture. And he wanted everyday people who just work their normal lives, live their normal lives to, to, come to know and love Jesus. So I, I, I hope people throughout our discussion see that more and more, that yes, there is there is depth, there is a profound nature to some of these things, and sometimes it can seem like that's what the Anglican world is. It's like, oh, a bunch of smart people who like <laughs> like to talk about all this stuff, but like at its heart, it, it's it's where you're at too. Like it, it just wants to love Jesus, mm. and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, to, to continue your 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 metaphor of the telescope. I think one of the really cool things about Anglicanism is it doesn't require your average person stepping into a church service to construct their own telescope. Uh-huh. Um, you don't have to walk in the door and, and figure out, oh, what's the best prayer to pray here? Or, or how do I engage with congregational worship? Um, the, the telescope is there. It's been built mm-hmm. for you. Uh, you just come in and look through it. You are, you are given all the advantages of the tool without any of the required knowledge of how to construct it. Mm-hmm. So I think that can be very helpful for someone coming in and going, oh, well, I, I don't know if I necessarily know how to pray or, yeah. or what to pray for. Mm-hmm. But these prayers that are provided are are great and rich and they help not only me to connect with God and and to worship the Lord but also to be reminded of like rich theological truths which I may not necessarily have been aware of as I walked in bleary eyed from being up at four in the morning with my child into a church service at nine o'clock um so yeah that's awesome man well, with that in mind, I want to unpack that more. We don't have necessarily time now, but we've got more episodes coming. We're going to do three more episodes in this What is Anglicanism series. And I have your outline here, so I have the benefit of knowing a little bit of the future. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd love for you to give us a little bit more detail, kind of a taste of these things before we move into them. So just to wrap up here, I see your outline has the bullseye, the roots, and the frame. You want to give us kind of a taste of what those are going to look like in episodes two, three, and four? Yeah, for sure. You know, when I when I teach this class, we walk through what's called the uh, the seven fundamental declarations of the province. So it's okay. a, <laughs> a fun way of saying like, okay, well, if you really want to know what Anglicanism is, here's what the smart people say. <laughs> <laughs> and here's like the seven things. And I try to break those things down to one word explanations and we walk through it a little bit. And so the bullseye, the roots, and the frame is even, you know, sharpening that up a little bit more. So mm-hmm. the bullseye is our first two things that we'll talk about in our first episode. And what that is kind of like the, what is the, the bullseye that the telescope's aiming at? Like, mm. where, where are we going? 
And those first two things are word and sacrament. And there we're seeing, okay, the bullseye is ultimately the gospel that we've discussed, but it's, okay, how, do, how is the gospel revealed to us? And how does scripture communicate the gospel can be revealed to us? And that is through um, the word and through his sacraments. So um, that will be our first two things that we discuss. And then, okay, moving from the bullseye, we're going now into roots. It's kind of like, how do we trust and have some reliability that this sustains itself? Sometimes I explain not just Anglicanism like a telescope, but also like a house. You know, you're building a house. Okay, what happens if you have a frame and that house is built on sand? You know, mm. Matthew 7, <laughs> I was just in Rodanthe in, in the Outer Banks. And guess what? Some people still do that. Oh, <laughs> they build man. houses on the sand. And uh, the, the roots are saying, okay, how do we have any sort of reliability that this will stand? Uh, uh, this will stand the test of time. And so there we're looking at a few more specific Anglican things of our, um, our church polity, which is our Episcopal structure that we're governed by an episcopacy. Well, we'll get to that some more. Because <laughs> uh, you just used two words, yeah. <laughs> polity and episcopal, yeah. all at once. Church, <laughs> our form of church government. Okay. Um, and then we'll go into our, that we are a creedal church, that we stand on the, the historic creeds of throughout church history, and that we are a, a Catholic church. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll touch more about that. We'll touch on more of that, but that's how we think about, okay, we're a church that's governed by an episcopacy in the church government therein. We are creedal in nature and affirmation, and we are Catholic in unity, um, both historic unity and global unity. And then lastly, we have our frame. So we've got our bullseye, our roots, our foundation, then the frame of the house. What does the house actually look like once you're inside it, if you will? There we're going to talk about our liturgical nature, our, our liturgy. There we get to the Book of Common Prayer and some of the shape of morning and evening prayer and some of the shape of a communion service and things like that. And then lastly, our, you know, the last declaration of the province, it really just defines, okay, what is modern Anglicanism? You know, and there we talk we get about the, the Protestant nature of Anglicanism, the evangelical and gospel truth nature, and then our, our missional uh, focus as well. So the bullseye, the roots, and the frame is mm. um, is kind of what we'll be walking through there in those a, seven things. A triple object lesson, which yes. I really appreciate because word and sacrament and Episcopal and, and cre- that's a lot. I, I prefer, we'll do bullseye, frame, and roots. That yep. seems easier. <laughs> so that's the distinctives of Anglicanism, but the future episodes are going to be the distinctive distinctives of Anglicanism. Right. So uh, we hope you'll come back for those. If you thought to yourself, well, that doesn't really answer my question fully. That's okay. We've got more to talk about. Yeah. Uh, well, I look forward to that. That sounds like a lot of fun. I look forward to hearing more uh, about Anglicanism and about its many distinctives, and I just really appreciate your time, Trip. Thank you. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah.